<laughs> Imagine we just change the intro to just us singing. <laughs> guys welcome back to another episode of grief uncensored i'm yako and i'm julia your grief is your own and no one can tell you what to do with it but we're glad you're here and we're glad that you found us be sure to follow us on instagram where we do a feature loved one series where you can upload a picture of your loved one in a caption and we'll share it with our community yes and we also have a facebook page you can like us there to support us and we have a facebook group for other grieving 20 year olds going through similar experiences where you can just talk and be vulnerable with people who understand we also have a tiktok if you want to follow us there where we make unhinged tiktoks about grief we just started a twitter so go support us there as well we also have a youtube for our visual people where we upload the video version of our podcast So many things and all of the links to all of that are in our Instagram bio. This week, we're talking about medical aid in dying, death doulas, and alternative options after death, including after death ceremonies and green burials with our guest, Sophia Bilesma. She's 26 years old, a third year med student in San Diego. She's originally from the East Coast. She lost her mom to ALS. So let's bring in our guest and hear more about her story. All right, here she is. Hi, Sophia. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. Doing great. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. You were like the first person to apply to be a guest, so that's also exciting. (laughs) Thank you for applying and thank you for wanting to be a part of this project. Yeah, of course. I think this is so cool and I feel really lucky to be able to talk to y'all about uh, my mom. Yeah, we're excited to hear about her. But honestly, we can just jump right in. And we'd love to hear about her and your experience. Yeah. um, So yeah, in about um, 2018, um, she started having kind of these like motor symptoms. Um, At first, it was just things like her handwriting getting a little worse or not being able to form speech syllables as well as where it got a little harder to understand her, but she was still kind of functionally able to get around the house and stuff. Um, And then over the next couple of years, um, her symptoms just got worse and worse. Um, And then her diagnosis ended up being some sort of kind of mystery um, neurological neurodegenerative condition. But I think of it as kind of similar to ALS, which is, yeah, like another neurodegenerative condition that eventually just kind of breaks down the nerves and the muscles that help control your body. And kind of some background about my mom is that she was always super independent, lived by herself. Um, Her and my dad were divorced and she lived alone, lived in a a couple of different houses alone. And by the time my brother and I moved out to go to college, she was um, doing really well and doing fine. And then all of this kind of started happening. And I would go home and see her every couple of months. And every time I saw her, she would just be like a little worse, like little things that I would notice. Um, But I never really thought like, oh, this could be something terminal. I just always thought like, oh, she Mm -hmm. can probably probably get better from this. Or she was working a lot on like her own nutrition and her own kind of homeopathic remedies and stuff. And so we always just kind of were positive or optimistic that it would get better. And then in 2020, I want to say she broke one of her hips. And so then she was kind of in a wheelchair 
and her mobility got really limited. And after that, she started getting a lot worse. Like her symptoms really progressed. She couldn't walk anymore. Couldn't really, she could talk, but it was really hard to understand her um, because all of the muscles in her face and tongue were kind of messed up from the neurodegeneration. And then in May or yeah, let's see, May of this year. So May of 2022, she kind of was at a place where she was like, I don't want to I'm fine with getting better and healing completely from this and doing fine and being on my own. And I'm fine just kind of dying on my own terms, but I'm not fine getting worse and worse and worse and worse every single day. And then ending up like having to rely on people for everything, Mm -hmm. ending up in my bed forever. Um, Less so to be a burden on like my brother and I, but more so just because that wasn't congruent with her personality at all. Like she was so independent. She just wanted to be able to do all of her own things and it was so frustrating for her that she couldn't do like anything like even Mm -hmm. leave the house or go drive or go like ride her horses or any of that so that's kind of where her frame of mind was in May of this year and so then she I think just on her own found out about um the medical aid in dying process in California, which is, it used to be called um, kind of like physician assisted suicide or euthanasia, but now it's called either death with dignity or medical aid in dying. And it's basically a process that's legal in a couple of states in the US and other countries too, but you need a top of terminal diagnosis, number one, and you need um, a couple of different doctors to sign off saying that you're mentally able to make your own medical decisions, you have the capacity to make your own decisions, and that you're doing this to alleviate your suffering, not because you actually like want to die and are suicidal, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so she found a couple of doctors who were going to be willing to sign off on her for this. And then at some point, I... I mean, I would check in with her every like week or so. Like I would text her. We'd text all the time. I would text her every week and be like, should I come home? Should I like, is it time for me to come home? Let me know. Um, Cause I was in school the whole time too. And I was away and not, not with her, but I also didn't want to rush her or like pressure her to make any sort of decision based on my timeline. So it was kind of like this weird limbo. And I also knew that she wouldn't really be one to ask for help if she needed it. I would probably just have to go show up and be like, Hey, yeah. I'm here, you know, <laughs> I'm here to help. Um, So eventually in July, no, yeah, beginning of July of 2022, I was like, you know, I'm just going to take time off school, like leave. I don't care if there's ramifications. I'm just going home because I need to be there Mm -hmm. and be with my family and be with my mom. And so then I went home and we were honestly just vibing for like almost a month. We were just I I was, yeah, I was totally off school, no obligations, really. I dropped like all of my research projects I was working on because I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I need to go do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every day, yeah, we would just like cook together or I would do like little chores around the house for her. She still had caretakers kind of coming on certain days to help her with some of the bigger stuff, but it was really just, yeah, like so peaceful. And I think we both knew that all of this time had to be really intentional, but also we didn't want to make it so emotional that every day we were just like crying and like unable to do anything so I try to I don't know just keep it a little bit lighthearted and like make a lot of jokes and stuff while at the same time going through all of these like really sentimental things around the house and going through like every single picture book in the house all the photo albums like listening to all of her music just doing I don't know little stuff like that that feels so small but really felt Mm -hmm. um, like so significant while we were home together And then she still didn't really know like what her exact timeline was going to be. Cause at first when I came home, she was 
like, well, I still really enjoy, I don't know, like listening to music and I want to hang out with you for a little longer and it's nice that you're home. So we were just kind of leaving it up in the air. Like I didn't want to pressure her and I wanted everything to just be on her own timeline, you know? Yeah. Um, and then my brother came home eventually too. I called him and I was like, yeah, we should, we should both be home and with her right now. And yeah. And then we were just, yeah, every day we just hang out and cook and clean and do whatever. Um, my, my parents still live in the same town, but in different houses. And usually when we're home, we go back and forth between them and like spend time with both of them. But this time I had to tell my dad, like, I'm, <laughs> I can't come over. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm busy. I just need to be with her. So that was all honestly really nice. And I like appreciate and value that time with her so much. Cause I feel like, yeah, it's just so, it was so nice to have that with her. And I feel like that's what everybody like almost wants in a way, or that's, I don't know, that's like probably a part that's missing for a lot of people who, whose parents have passed away. So it was really, yeah, it was really nice, but she was like visibly every day. I could tell she was getting worse and she was just so tired and like, she would just fall asleep while we were having a conversation and go to bed mm -hmm. so early and wasn't really eating that much. So I think we all felt that it was kind of coming to an end mm -hmm. and then one day she literally just woke up and she was like okay like I'm I want this date like July 26th and we were like okay <laughs> great wow. and so we had yeah. like five days I think I had five days to get everything ready like all of the people I don't know it was crazy there's like pharmacy involved the doctor sort of a hospice like mm -hmm. um these death doulas that came to the house that we can talk about a little later just all mm -hmm. of these like moving pieces that I felt like I had to coordinate all wow. at the same time so I feel like that was almost distracting in a way from me being able to just spend time with her because I would have to you know like call right. call all of them and try and coordinate them but I wanted to take that on so that my brother didn't have to do any of it and he could just like because he had a little less time than I did. So yeah. I Is that your younger just... or older brother? Yeah, he's younger. He's three years younger than me. So he's 23. Yeah. But I just wanted him to have all of that time with her. So I was just like, I'll, I'll deal with this. Like, don't literally don't worry about it. And I also didn't want my, my mom to have to worry about any of it, too, because I feel like right. she would have done That's this regardless. To, to take on. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I think it probably put my brain into like a crisis mode a little bit for mm -hmm. a long time which is probably why it took a while for like the shock to wear off afterwards because I was still like trying to yeah. do like coordinate all of these things so yeah everybody it all ended up working out like really well um, and everybody you know came to the house on the day that she wanted to take the meds and her one of her like best friends also that she wanted to be there came over in the morning and like brought mimosas which I thought oh. was really funny and like cute and she was like I don't know if this is a vibe but I brought them and I was like I need that actually that's so you know like that's just such an unprecedented like experience right like you don't what you what do you do like do you bring mimosas I don't know like you know I, I mean it's true like it's it sounds like it wasn't how maybe you would think or like how the movies would portray something like that where everyone's like sitting at her bedside um, I mean, I'm sure, of course, it was extremely emotional, but like, even though even though she didn't choose to have this condition, she was given a choice on, you know, medical aid and dying. So yeah, it is just a, it's re really unique. I was wondering um, how she first told you and your brother about medical aid and dying and that she was choosing this and how you originally felt. Yeah, I think I actually had sent her, we like send a lot of, we would send a lot of podcasts and like news articles back and forth that have to do with just healthcare in general. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I think I can't remember if I sent her like a podcast that I had listened to about um, how people access aid in dying in states where it's not legal. So I read, yeah, it was it was a really interesting podcast and talked about how there's this like squad of women in New York who um, have this pact where if any of them get Alzheimer's disease, they'll just like take a pill that's in their freezer. But one of them <laughs> had to like go all the way to Mexico, like smuggle in these pills, come across the border. And it was like, so oh my crazy. God. And so I sent that to her and I was like, oh my God, this is so interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think? And and then I think she probably also did her own research on just like maybe other people with this condition and how they felt. And then she had a friend who had like a more advanced version of this condition too. So I think oh, she wow. saw where it could go and like how bad it could get almost. So I think one day she just texted me that kind of that whole spiel that I said, like, I'm fine getting better and I'm fine just going out on my own terms kind of and like having autonomy about this, but I'm, I don't want to just get worse. And so she just kind of texted something like that to me. And then I was like, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think it would have been much harder for her to do this if I had met her with like resistance, like, Oh, like, no, (laughs) this is so sad. Like I want you to stay, like, don't you want to stay or like even try to convince her at all. So I feel like the most supportive thing that I could do as like her daughter and somebody that loves her is just help make all of this as easy as possible for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she, she had me tell my brother too. She was like, I don't really want to like have to talk about this with him. So I let him know. Yeah. That's a tough conversation to have too, and be given that position, you know? And I think that that's really selfless of you to be able to like see past your own desires and needs and see like I mean when you love someone it shouldn't be that hard right to do that but when it's your mom but you don't want them to leave yeah 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 Yeah, I know I think I could just tell also how mismatched her like body and her capabilities were from who I knew she was as a person like the person I had grown up with who was like so spontaneous and we would always just be doing things that were active or going on trips and she was always just out of the house and doing things. And so I could tell that she was like, it just didn't make sense. Right. For her to just be like, keep living in this body when I knew that wasn't her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that she had the option in, it was in California. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure that there are not many States that allow medical aid in dying. So you know, there's never any choice we have in how we're going to pass. Um, and this is like the closest you could get to that. Even though, again, so it was not, we did not choose this. We did not want this, but it was, it's the closest thing that the law in California allows right. to have a choice in, in your passing. Yeah. And oftentimes with death, like we feel like such a lack of control about everything. And like, that's what a lot of anxiety comes from. Like that feeling of like, oh, I really don't have a control over anything. Mm -hmm. Like anything can happen and I would never know. But yeah, like Julia said, like it brings that kind of essence of control into making this, you know, decision for yourself. And I don't know, there's no really good way to die of course you know there's no like good way but in a case like this it's like the name kind of says is like dying with dignity and respect and Mm -hmm. having a say in when you die it's like that's huge 
Yeah. Like the day that she chose, we just had like, I literally knew from the moment I woke up, I was like, every single second of this day is going to be like so important. And I will remember this forever. And like, yeah, I'll remember like what we ate in the morning, what we mm -hmm. did, like all of the songs, like we made her this playlist with like every single song that she wanted to listen to that day. And it kind of wow. like started out really upbeat and like fun and like, um, all of her yeah fun music and then just got kind of slower and more she was a massage therapist so she had a lot of like massage music that was all really mm -hmm. nice and vibey um, mm -hmm. and so it just kind of progressed to that so even down to like yeah the soundtrack <laughs> she got to choose um, yeah got to choose like who she wanted around her and just wow. everything which I think yeah, is so that's... cool yeah I was wondering what kinds of things you did in the time leading up while you were staying with her before that day in July what what kind of things did you do to be really intentional and like mindful with your time did you like keep you know a, a journal of all the things or I was also wondering maybe like if she wrote notes to you guys or like did certain things because she knew that she wasn't going to be there just how you kind of stayed present in those moments? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think at first when we kind of still didn't really know, or I didn't really have a good idea of the timeline, all I wanted to do was just make her life like as easy as possible. So even just things like I would do like all the chores around the house and clean whatever her room and her bathroom and a big thing was cooking too. Like I just cooked all of the meals and stuff that she would have made for us when we were younger too. <laughs> um, and then she's, uh, she was from Austria and like moved here in her twenties. So all of our like kind of family childhood dessert recipes are all Austrian. And so I hadn't learned how to make a lot of them actually by this time. So I wanted her to watch me do some of them so that I wouldn't Aww. be just completely lost afterwards. Oh my gosh. Like, what the heck? <laughs> so I had her watch me like make a couple of them and then she'd be like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> that wrong. <laughs> so I feel like that was really good, really good education. Um, but just honestly, yeah, just like little things like that, that felt so meaningful um, and things that she did for us when we were kids that now because she did those for us, I can do that for her, you know, um, like very full circle. I didn't really keep a journal. I took a lot of pictures of stuff because, mm -hmm. which I wasn't doing at first because I just totally forgot. Yeah. And then I was like, oh shoot, like I really need to be, <laughs> like I need to be taking pictures of this or taking pictures of what we're doing. And yeah, in terms of the notes she had, we both wrote, my brother and I both wrote her letters that we read to her um, on her last day that she was here. And then she had texted her friend. She at this point couldn't really write anymore, but she had texted her friend like kind of a letter that she wanted her friend to read to us. Um, mm. And that was really beautiful. It was like mm -hmm. pretty short and sweet, but it was like, and like kind of sarcastic, which I thought was really funny, <laughs> but which is totally her, but um, it was really, yeah, it was really nice. And I, when I was trying to write that letter, I was like, what the heck do I even say? Like, there's so much oh to my say. God. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And how can I just like, thank you for being my mom like you know it's so oh, crazy yeah I don't know but yeah that was it was it was nice I I feel like even now when I'm thinking about the letter that I wrote I'm like it wasn't even that good like I feel like I <laughs> just spent like, weeks and weeks and weeks on it and it still wouldn't have been that good I don't know like nothing can yeah. ever no put no. into words no right. I, I always think even a couple of days ago I was thinking about the eulogy that I read 
and that I wrote for my mom's celebration of life. And like, I would change so much. I don't know. Like, I think I always <laughs> go back and forth. I'm like, wow, like I really wrote it great. But then I like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, I missed so many things. Like yeah. there's so many things I should have said. Why did I say this? Why didn't I say that? Like literally it, you're always going to go like back and forth on it yeah I mean I, I know that I did the best I could and and I mean I remember reading being like okay this is perfect but no like now you know there's just so many things I have like a running list of all the things you can't include everything because yeah it's impossible to like encompass someone in any speech like it's just we're too complex yeah um so I wanted to ask about how maybe your grief differs from other people who weren't able to kind of have this intentional time with their person before their passing. And you mentioned like um, the shock wearing off um, after she passed and, you know, after you're kind of out of that state of being there with her before the date. So just like how your, your grief might differ. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that it wasn't unexpected and it was it was like almost planned in a way so I feel like yeah like we were talking about just there was a lot more control but at the same time I feel like I thought that I knew what I was doing as in like I had done a lot of anticipatory grieving and trying to put myself in the mindset of like oh this is probably how you'll feel Mm -hmm. when she's gone and I think that's where probably my most emotional like days and nights were where I just like could not get out of bed I literally couldn't do anything or talk to anybody because I was just so like scared and sad um and scared also just like scared of how I would feel when she was gone almost and then after she died there was yeah like a period of a couple of weeks of just shock almost or like numbness where I felt weirdly like fine in a way but it was just because I was so numb but I thought that me feeling fine was like me having done all of the grieving already like I was like oh I did it that was like not that bad and I I think because I expected to not feel as bad because I was like oh I knew this was coming like Mm -hmm. I had all of this time with her like I had control over some of these things and I got to say goodbye but then after those couple of weeks I literally woke up one day and I was like what is wrong with my body like I'm actually I actually feel like I'm dying like I am I don't know it's just like indescribable how you feel yeah um and then I was like oh you feel like sick yeah like oh this must be it this must be like (laughs) the grief that everyone is talking about like that sucks yeah um sucks yeah and then I was there for a while and I think I'm still like cycling through all of those different things at the same the time. But grief. Yeah. But I, I feel like, I don't know, then we had to do a lot of, I don't know, we had to sell her house and like pack up all of her oh, stuff yeah. and move it yeah. like back down with me to San Diego and just all of these like bigger things that get in the way of actually being able to grieve and have enough time to really sit with your feelings and think about them. Like, yeah. I want to grieve, but I have to call the bank and yell at them about how they need to give me the money that was in her accounts, you know, just like silly things like that, that just get in the way. So I think, yeah, that's where I am right now. I think I still have, I mean, obviously a lot more work to do and things to work through because it's a lifelong like 
process, but yeah. That's why I feel like the waves of grief is how most people experience grief is because life doesn't stop and there's always going to be mundane things in your day to day that you have to worry about, whether that's responsibilities with school or work or whatever in your relationships and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, Just everything getting in the way. And so when you kind of have that time to just sit and think about it, that's when it really hits you. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's also the thing with anticipatory grief is that no matter how much you grieve before and grieve the possibility and grieve the things that once was and what will never be like that doesn't stop you from grieving after too like it's almost fucked up because now you're grieving for a full like a year when <laughs> like or like even longer you know yeah knowing beforehand doesn't make any of the realities easier to digest they're still yeah. fucked up yeah yeah i thought it would almost be like practice or like I was practicing like how to grieve almost which sounds yeah. like so funny and silly but then afterwards no, I was I like never agree. mind <laughs> so. I completely relate with that too because when my dad had cancer I would think about him passing mm-hmm. and I would like cry obviously you know and yeah. I would do this a lot I would do this thing where I'd be like what if he passes and then just think about it a lot and so I thought me doing that was kind of preparing for this reality and I honestly remember talking to him one time I called him and I was like I just realized like what if you pass away and it was a really really horrible like heartbreaking conversation and I was like I just realized that you might die and like you could pass away from this and he was like yeah that that's a reality and you know we had to have this like really horrible deep conversation about him passing away and what that means and how I'm supposed to do with that And that reminds me of like you being intentional with your time, because even though I didn't know exactly when I knew that it was a possible reality. And so, you know, there was this summer that I had with him similar to your experience with your mom is that I went to New York and I was there for three months. And, you know, that was like the longest I've been home in a while because I live so far away for school and stuff. And so during that three months, like we're just like sitting on the couch, watching TV together. He taught me how to cook like his, some of my favorite meals that he cooks for me. And I took him to go see school of rock and we were both like crying (laughs) like on Broadway. And it was just like, I don't know, just all those moments I cherish so much. Like that summer will always be like something that I cherish so much because even though it wasn't like intentionally like we need to do this because you're gonna die but you know looking back it was kind of something like that even though it wasn't openly said it's horrible though either way (laughs) yeah oh my god your story just brought tears to my eyes like even though she had a even though she had the ability to like have so much control over everything it still doesn't make it any less heartbreaking and like gut-wrenching the pain that you feel from this experience and having known that someone you love went through something like that too yeah or even just like was like felt like they needed to be in a position where they had to make that decision to begin yeah. with like that just yeah. I don't know just the whole situation yeah, like, yeah I, I'm sad. wondering like what your mom felt about that like I mean, we kind of talked about it before where she was like very open to the idea, but like, was she scared or was she kind of just more like, at first I'm sure she was, but maybe like the day of she was kind of more accepting, but I just wanted to hear what you think. It's a good question because it's just like, how does anyone react to the news of, you know, their terminal and Mm -hmm. like, 
how how do you react to that especially when you have children yeah I don't think she was scared I think she had had a lot of time on her own to process all of this and figure out really what she wanted to do and kind of like the various paths that her life could go like from where she was and I think because she had had a lot of time to just think about what she wanted to do and just given that she was already just as a person totally independent and just wanted Mm -hmm. to make all of her decisions for herself you know um I'm sure she was scared like at some point in the middle but I think she was really sure and really also secure in her decision too which Mm -hmm. then made it a lot easier for both my brother and I to then be like oh okay like that's what you want to do and you're totally sure about it then I'm totally sure that that is what's best for you or that's Mm -hmm. what you want to do and then all I can do from there is just make the rest of your life as easy as possible and as comfortable as possible and as fun as possible and like I I think she was yeah she was in a place of like total acceptance Mm -hmm. um which, yeah, I think it would have been a lot scarier and harder if she had been outwardly scared or worried mm-hmm. or stressed about any are. of it. A lot of people are. True. I mean, and maybe she was, she was just trying to, like, you know, she knew that that would be putting on a brave face for you guys so that you guys aren't scared or worried because it is mm-hmm. a scarying and worrying topic, you know, and subject yeah. matter. And she also, yeah, that reminds me of what we were like talking about. Um, kind of our plan for or my brother and I's like plan for afterwards and we were all just kind of sitting on the porch talking and I was like oh like mom when do you think I should try and go back to school like do you have any thoughts on that and she was like I think you'll be fine in like two weeks and I was like girl what maybe you'll be fine (laughs) like I will not be but that was kind of her attitude she was like yeah this is just like a thing that's happening Mm -hmm. and everyone's gonna keep going but I was like I'm I don't know. I need more time. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of want the world to stop when your life stops, but yeah. like it just keeps spinning. And that's like the hardest part about grief. But yeah, also, I wanted to ask you more about death doulas because I feel like not a lot of people know about them or have any experience with them. So I just wanted to ask you about that and what your experience was like having them a part of your experience. Yeah. I also didn't really know about them. And then I think my brother found one of them online and then. I just called one of them to talk about what kind of what it is they do and if they would be like interested in hanging out with us for that, that couple of days. But yeah, so a death doula and kind of similar to like a doula who is present at somebody's birth for a a birth doula, they're really involved in the actual birth itself, but also the planning of the birth. Um, They're like an advocate for um, the person giving birth and the family. And then afterwards they can help take care of the baby, like help do feedings and stuff like that. So it's kind of just a support person to help with everything going on, but they're also, they could be um, almost like a third party sometimes where they're not as like deeply emotionally involved and they're a little more removed and can objectively like see the situation a little Mm -hmm. bit better. So for the death doulas, they were um, both hospice or one of them was a hospice volunteer who had spent a lot of her time working in hospices and being with people as they die in hospices. And then um, they're also both trained in um, how to do home funerals or like home, like prepping the body at home kind of. And so I was just kind of, my mindset at that time was like, I literally need all the help I can get. I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I just like need more people to be around me as this happens because I just need support. Yeah. Um, 
And so they, my mom actually met one of them like the weekend before, cause they came, one of them came by the house and we were just chatting and um, she had, she kind of explained the aid and dying process a little bit to my mom too, in terms of like mm-hmm. what to expect and yeah, just kind of the timeline of how long everything takes, like how long the meds take to start working. And I feel like that was really helpful for me too, because I didn't really know, like I just kind of looked it up online, but I didn't really have any firsthand, obviously, like experience talking to people who had seen this. So it was really helpful to have them for that. And then the day of, they just, yeah, they just honestly like came over and hung out in the living room of the house until we, I like emerged at some point from my mom's room because that's where we all were. And yeah, they were very just normalizing of the whole process. And they didn't ask me any questions like, how are you feeling? Or like, how, like, how did that make you feel? (laughs) Which I feel like would have just sent me into like an absolute (laughs) downward spiral. But instead they were like, oh, like what, um, yeah, like, how do you like living in San Diego? Like, how's med school? Just things like that, that were easy questions for my brain to answer, because I already had answers to them prepared. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything that I needed to think about. And then that kind of brought me out of my state of being so deeply internal after just like literally having watched my mom die. And yeah, so they were really helpful for that, just kind of bringing us back out into the world (laughs) and feeling a little bit more human. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they helped also with some of the body preparation because um, my mom didn't want a funeral. She was like, they're depressing and I don't mm-hmm. want people to, I don't know, they're expensive and depressing. They are. Um, and I was like, true. <laughs> um, and she just wanted kind of like a celebration of life almost, but she had already said goodbye to all of the people that she wanted to say bye to. So she was fine just like us prepping the body kind of at the house almost. And then having the burial but she didn't really need anybody else to be involved so yeah the the doulas were really helpful in helping us with all of that because I just I felt like I needed an adult in the house at that time because I was like I do not know what I'm doing I feel like a child like my brother is also a (laughs) child we're just like we just lost like our mom what the heck do I do so it was really good to have them almost like tell us what to do or just ask us like oh do you think we should keep her body in the in the bedroom or like move her to the living room just stuff like that and then um they helped to yeah just with some of the body preparation um and then we kept her body also overnight in the house just for a night because they explained that it can be really jarring when the body gets removed really quickly from the house if like a mortician or somebody comes to the house and just kind of takes them away and whisks them off to a funeral home or something, which makes so much sense now that I'm thinking about it, because I feel like we had a lot of time to just kind of see her in various like contexts in the house. And that helped us be able to say goodbye too. I think it would have been really like dramatic and traumatic for her body to just suddenly be taken. And then all of a sudden we're like left with this void of like, what the heck? Like she was just here, but it was almost, it was a much more soft, and gentle transition that she was able to just we were, we could keep her overnight wow. and have all of the time that we needed to just kind of talk with her be in the same room as her if we wanted to be um, and kind of get and then, used to like seeing her in that state yeah another thing that's super traumatic about funerals is like you didn't see the dead body and now it's just like displayed it's just dead in front yeah. of you and you don't like see it unless you saw the you know unless you saw them pass but even then it's like just so dramatic like you said like and tra- traumatizing like you're just seeing them like that all of a sudden 
Yeah. And I feel like that just adds to the shock too, because this person went from being somebody who was alive and like talking to you. And then Mm -hmm. the next time you see them, they're whatever, like in a, in a casket or Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's so, so weird yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest transition ever and they like don't even look like themselves they have like makeup on and it just like yeah. looks, it's just weird it's no. that's why we dedicated an episode to funerals because of how fucking weird everything is <laughs> i listened to that one and i was like oh my god like i need to talk to somebody about how like how weird funerals are and like how much my mom didn't want one yeah, yeah. i mean no it's so valid because like the it truly is it's just awkward and it's like it's so awkward all, all around sad and just horrible and like makes you just think about everything in your life and how you like it's just ugh, too much yeah so what did you guys do alternatively um yeah so the other thing that she wanted to do was uh, called a green burial or like an eco-friendly burial she didn't want a coffin or a casket or anything like that and then what a eco-friendly burial is is basically there's these cemetery a couple of cemeteries around the U.S. Um, that are designated for these green burials so it's like no chemicals involved in the embalming you can't be buried in any um, you have to be buried in all like natural fibers that help with decomposition and then you can't yeah you have to be buried in like a linen shroud basically that helps with the decomposition as well and they're all in these like specifically kind of biodiverse places around the country too um, where everybody else there has also been buried in a green eco-friendly way and I don't know how she found this but (laughs) like online but she like showed she sent me the link and she was like I want this and I was like great thank you makes my job so much easier (laughs) if you know exactly what you want (laughs) So yeah, and then one of them happened to be just an hour away from where we lived, which was so ideal. Um, And yeah, so we just got the shroud, um, linen shroud shipped to our house and we helped, the doulas helped us wrap her in that. Um, Oh my God. And it was a lot of, yeah, it was like a lot of family involvement in all of the, like every step of the way, which I think was really cool and felt really hands-on in a way that I think my mom would have really liked, you know, like, I don't know, just, I, f- I feel like caring for her body in that way almost was part of the full circle thing too. And then, yeah, wow. we just had like a, a little like burial ceremony almost with um, some of the people who were at the house when she died and her friend. Um, and then my brother and I, and the doulas all read little poems that they had. I didn't write anything because I was so I don't know. I was just, it was kind of like what you were saying, Julie. Like, I felt like anything I would have written to read out loud would have just been like, what the heck? (laughs) Like, there's no, there's no way I can say everything that I want to say. So I didn't even, I didn't read anything. I was just there, like trying not to have a breakdown. Mm -hmm. Um, And we played like some of her favorite songs and stuff. Um, Yeah, that was the almost alternative. Yeah. Funeral, burial. Um, more more celebration of life Mm -hmm. and then she had for her friends she had all of them come to her house um the weekend after and just go through all of her stuff and take whatever they felt like they wanted which I thought was a really like cool way of doing it because that makes it easier for us because then we Mm -hmm. don't have as much stuff to try and go through and donate and give away Mm -hmm. and then nice for them too because then they get to keep a little something of her that they get to choose um Yeah. yeah I like that idea of being mm-hmm. able to choose from the house, you know, what speaks to you and what you want to keep from her. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
did you have first dibs on her stuff yeah there's some <laughs> stuff that I was like I'm keeping this I'm putting this in a closet nobody gets to yeah. look at this this is mine yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the green burial is like something I've never ever heard of it's nice it's like it's like full circle with nature almost right you- I-, I think I've seen something where like it's a green burial and then you like plant a seed and then it turns into like a tree or something. Oh yeah. yeah. Is I've there like, um, you mentioned that in the space where the green burial happens, everything around it is also other people who did a green burial. Are there like tombstones similar to a, like a normal um, cemeteries? Yeah. <laughs> or, you yeah. know, is, cause like, I think the reason why, cemeteries are still a thing or burials are still a thing is so that people can go visit can they, can you go still visit where where she was buried yeah there's um in the specific cemetery where she's buried um you get to basically pick out a rock or like boulder or something um mm-hmm. that you can get engraved if you want to um they offer that for free i guess as part of the cemetery thing um, but I, my brother and I both kind of felt like she wouldn't want her name on anything. We felt like she would want it marked somehow with just kind of like some items that she had. I don't know. We have right now we have like some feathers there and her favorite animal was an elephant and she had like a bunch of little carved elephants. So we put all of those there, but I, I almost felt like it would feel a little bit, I don't know, like insincere for us to just put her name on this like random <laughs> rock that like doesn't really fit with her vibe almost if yeah. that makes sense like yeah, definitely so yeah we're still kind of trying to figure out what to do with that because I definitely want it to be a place where like obviously my brother and I know where she is but if her family like ever wants to come visit or I don't know just people in the future want to come visit like I want them to be able to know that's where she is so mm-hmm. yeah we're still we're still trying to figure that part out mm-hmm. but right now yeah. it's just kind of we we know where it is which is the most right. important thing exactly. I don't care if anybody else <laughs> yeah right now other than the burial site, is there another place that you would go to to feel her presence or to kind of visit with her if it's like some people say the beach or like their favorite park or something? Yeah, we went to the beach a lot because we grew up really close to um, the coast and we would go to the beach a lot with her and just go on walks. And so, yeah, we would go to this one specific area there was like this unspoken consensus between my brother and I where if either of us was like can we go to the beach today mm-hmm. we would just like immediately drive to the beach and like sit there <laughs> mm-hmm. um and just like think about her talk about her um that's really sweet. really nice yeah and I, I'm still trying to figure out where that is here like back in San Diego because obviously it feels different when you're in the place where they've where like I, I grew up and then also where she died you know mm-hmm. um and I feel like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out where exactly that is here, like how to best feel her like around here. I don't know. What yeah. do you what do you guys do for that? No, I, honestly, I asked you because I don't even have an answer for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For myself. Because like it's it's hard. Like I don't have she was not buried anywhere. So mm-hmm. there's no tombstone or anything like that for like a visit. Um, because she was cremated and we spread her mm-hmm. ashes at the cabin that she grew up as like her summer kind of vacation home if you will even though it's very like a rustic camping vibe not vacation home type but um I think for me that is the place that I would feel her the most 
But honestly, I think the answer just lies in like the moments where I think about her or where something I see or do like reminds me of her Mm -hmm. because she's like not in one place. She's just kind of all around. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like um, my dad kind of introduced San Diego to me because he did like a summer program at SDSU. And when I applied to SDSU, that's when I found out that he went there too. And, I, and he was like, what? I went there. And I was like, what? I, I got in. Like, and it was like kind of like fate in a way where I just felt like called to the school because of mm. that. And like, I don't know, everything just kind of aligned in a weird way where we both ended up in San Diego around the same times of our lives. Like he was a little bit older, but he was in his 20s too when he lived in San Diego. And so when he showed me San Diego, I was like, this is it. I want to move here. This is it. And I remember Mount Soledad was like really pretty. And yeah, I just always go there whenever I really miss him or I'm feeling sad. And I'm just like crying at a veteran memorial and people (laughs) (laughs) and people just think I'm very patriotic. But really, I'm just crying about my dad. (laughs) And yeah, other than that, I think that it, it lies in the small moments for sure. Like I'll feel him in like Mitsua, which is like a Japanese grocery store. And because we used to go all the time together and stuff like that. But yeah, just in like little things, I think the most. And also setting up a little shrine in your house. That's always great too. And Day of the Dead is coming up. Me and Julia were just talking about like setting up a shrine in our houses for them and setting it up with like their favorite treats, their favorite foods Mm. and just all their pictures. and And so, yeah, just doing stuff like that, I think reminds you of their presence I love having an in-home shrine like in the beginning in the first year like I lived by myself so I had like this huge shrine and it was just like a part of my home decor but now I don't live by myself so I kind of made it a little smaller (laughs) but like even when guests come and stuff like it is you can see it and I think at first I was like oh you know like it it might be kind of weird um especially like as I'm making new friends and other people who like didn't know her or like don't necessarily Mm. know that she passed away two years ago um you know they're like oh there's like a shrine right here and it might be weird but like I actually kind of wanted to like fall into that kind of oh this is weird but it's not weird and like this is my life and this is like my mom so I'm gonna keep like this like yeah so it, it I is feel visible that. in my home, you know? Yeah. I might cut this part out, but <laughs> but so I'm going to show That's how you know she's about to say something good. This is, <laughs> this is my dad. Oh, oh and, my gosh. Um, so I have this in my room and right now it's not set up because I just moved, but I have like usually a shrine and I had a shrine <laughs> in my room and Judy, my roommate was like, what is this? And she like opened it up and I was like, that's oh, my dad. No. Oh, Judy. She was probably like, oh my God. Yeah, but I, yeah, that's that moment. That's what. What did she do? She's like, oh, and just closed. I it can right just away. imagine Judy doing that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh my but yeah, that's, that just made me think of that Such when a you cute said computer. that. Right? Me and my sister, um, there's like two of these. I have the black one and then my mom had the white Mm. one. And then there's like a bigger one. But in Japan, when you like get cremated, it's like not ash. It's like bony. Mm. Some of the pieces are pretty big. Like, yeah, it's 
pretty intense. I mean, in my experience, they kind of were like, okay, guys, anatomically, like, this is where his head was. And you, like, see, like, pieces of his skull. And they were like, this is his legs, his arms. And it was just so weird to see. It felt like, like, artifacts being extracted. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I saw on a TikTok a couple of days ago, like some mortician saying that when you get your like cremated loved one back, most of the time, like that's like not even 80% of actually their whole body. Like a lot of the stuff is kind of like left out because like for whatever reason, I don't know, but yeah. And I always think about, I always think about also if there's like a piece of someone else's ash in there too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it got mixed Stop. up. Yeah. Oh my God. They used the same dustpan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just have like 1% someone else in there too. Stop. That's horrible. <laughs> I know. That's just so bad. Okay. Okay. Back to the. Where are, we, what, um, where are we at right now? Um, yeah. I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about is like the overlap between um, like having experienced all of this and then like feeling weird about choosing to like go back to the medical system because like I definitely feel conflicted about um having seen my mom go through all of this and be with her for all of this and then making the conscious decision to participate again in a system in the medical system that I feel like failed her in multiple different ways whether that was through not believing her about her like symptoms or about what she thought her diagnosis was, let alone about being able to heal her, I guess, from what was going on with her. And I still feel pretty conflicted about that. And I'm trying to figure out how to reconcile everything that I felt with her and saw with her and saw her go through. And then all of the stuff that I see every day in the hospital when I like go to work Um, because they're just so different. Like her whole Mm -hmm. process of dying at home, all of that was essentially outside of the medical system completely. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all of just either people volunteering, the community helping out, family helping out. Um, But really there was no involvement of any sort of medical system at all, which I feel like is very different from the way that we think about death in the hospital um, Mm -hmm. or within the system or even in say a hospice. And I think sort of Western medical system views death as a failure um, because it has more to do with the egos of the doctors and the system Mm -hmm. saying, oh, I have failed you if you're dying, you know, versus just seeing it as the end of somebody's life, like a natural thing that happens when either somebody is very sick or somebody is old or somebody is in the ICU hooked up to a thousand machines that are keeping them alive essentially. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the system is so hesitant to talk about and doctors are so hesitant to talk about death really upfront with their patients who are really ill. And I think honestly, if more people knew about either this option or more people were allowed to say, or given the space by their doctors or their healthcare team to say, hey, I'm kind of just done. Like, I'm so tired. I have this terminal diagnosis. I'm just ready. Like, I don't want you to push anything more on me. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to push any more treatments on me. I just want to be at home Mm -hmm. and with my family. And I don't want to be here in the hospital anymore. Um, So yeah, I feel conflicted about that. But I also feel like now I have all of this really like 
crazy perspective that I didn't have before. And now I know how those people probably feel and how those families feel. And I feel like much better equipped to be able to talk about that with people, which I think in a way is, is kind of cool. That's good. I mean, you have such a unique perspective having gone through it yourself. So you can be the person that you didn't have, you know, the advocate that you didn't have, you can become that for someone else. So even though you had to go through a lot of like agony to get that perspective, you know, the fact that you can help people, you know, that's, that is something to be said about that. That's so beautifully said, honestly. And it's so true. And I think that that is so important for people with terminal illness diagnosis to like have that ability and knowledge to know like the full scape of everything. Cause like you said, right. the f- feeling like death is failure, everybody always like has this like very hopeful yeah. mentality mm-hmm. about everything. And we it's were just talking very about painstaking yeah. because yeah, like someone will be like, oh, they're fine and they'll pass away in the next day. And it's like, you could have like braced this reality more and like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. And then also I feel like that paired with the death doula to like help kind of process these like thoughts and, and stuff, I feel like is something that more people need to know about so they can understand what the fuck's going on and feel like safe and secure in in the process. As a medical professional, are you allowed to tell the patients like about death doulas and about, um, medical aid in dying or is that kind of not allowed I think right now how it is is the patient has to bring it up themselves in terms of the medical aid in dying the patient has Mm -hmm. to bring it up themselves um and I don't know hopefully that'll change because I feel like more people would maybe use this option if they were informed about it yeah um and I I think for the death doulas too, I think they're more, a little bit more integrated into like hospice care systems and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like there's just so much more work that, you know, like doctors and just healthcare professionals in general have to do with their own relationship to death too, because everything that we're taught totally. in school and like everything that I see in the hospital is like people being so avoidant talking about death or somebody will die in hospital, like one of the patients on our list will die in the hospital and then nothing even ha- like the team doesn't even talk about it. They're just like, Oh, like bed 600 is open. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I, it's like, so inhumane. Like, if I, That's yeah, if frustrating. I that somebody was talking about my person that way, then yeah. I would be so upset. And so I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot more room to grow and like more education that needs to mm-hmm. happen. And yeah, there's just, yeah, more work yeah, to do. So definitely. I, I hear that a lot. It's a very common thing to be frustrated with how the uh, medical team was dealing with and possibly avoiding, you know, the hard yeah, truth. I know. And I think it's just because like, we aren't trained to talk like none, none of my med school education has yeah. been how to talk to people about death and dying. Yeah, or, that's a huge thing that needs I mean, to be damn, about it's about sure. time to like and it requires yeah, and it requires a lot of training too because you can't just, you know, drop some traumatizing news <laughs> on them like casually and I feel like that is a lot of the medical, you know, way yeah. like inhumane in a way and kind of just like matter-of-factly dropping some terrible news oh on my someone. God, I know. 
but like they need to remember that these people are still people and uh, we had another guest named Michelle who's like a registered dietitian so she kind of worked in the medical field too and she talks about like how because she had that experience she was able to like advocate for her dad and be like well imagine if this was your dad what would you do differently Mm -hmm. and like that's what we all need to remember but at the same time they deal with it so much that like if they humanize everyone it's like so traumatizing for them I'm sure Mm -hmm. you know who have to face that every day so it's tough yeah I mean like it, it I understand that on their side too, like if you feel so deeply every single loss you have in the hospital, I mean, you're going to get burnt out and overwhelmed. Like, you know, they're obviously like, I understand the level of, mm-hmm. you know, um, separation they have to have in order to do their jobs. But um, sometimes it feels like a little bit too separate and yeah. not, you know, humane enough. Yeah. Well. And I think there's, there's like, there can be an in-between between both of those where yeah, it's still, exactly. you're still allowed to acknowledge like, oh, that really sucked. Like watching this person, watching my patient die in the hospital was really awful. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about it. But also I know that I have whatever, five other patients to go see before the end of the day. And you can do both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lastly, we just want to ask you about your mom and how she was, who she was how she was with you and your brother growing up, the things that she loved, just her and her life in general? Yeah. I feel like it's such a good question. And then there's like 3 million things that I want to talk about. Um, But yeah, she was, I mean, I mentioned before like how independent she was, but she was also just so adventurous and like she paraglided she had a motorcycle that she rode around everywhere she had horses that she rode like bareback on the beach she just would do literally anything like would travel by herself to other countries on just a spur of the moment she would just do anything like so adventurous and she also growing up with my brother and I she was I think a really good balance between just letting us kind of do whatever we wanted almost. Um, but also like laying strict boundaries whenever we were doing things that she didn't, she didn't like or support. Um, yeah, (laughs) but yeah, she was just, I know she was just so such a good mom. I am sure everybody says that about their, (laughs) their person too, but it was just so true. Um, yeah, really good cook. She would cook like almost all of our meals and cook really good desserts and yeah just so independent really like valued her independence above everything which I think is what makes all of this like easier for me to think about you know and just yeah she's so cool I miss her what was her name her name was Sigrid Sigrid yeah yeah I feel like you embody so much of what you're describing of your mom and like I feel like a lot of that has been passed on to you and you're just so eloquent and you have like a great head on your shoulders and <laughs> <laughs> I sound like an old person <laughs> no but seriously yeah, I, I see so much of that in you and I feel like she mm-hmm. she sounds really amazing. she sounds yeah she sounds just like she sounds really badass for sure yeah she sounds yeah. like a badass woman and like <laughs> someone we all want to be yeah honestly though like I would love to encompass that energy like the independence the I mean oh my god traveling alone is like really difficult yeah you know? yeah she was a Sagittarius so she didn't really me? give a fuck so is Julia <laughs> really yeah, yeah me too 
So I'm trying. Awesome. I feel like I have some setbacks. I'm trying to get through, but I'm I'm trying to to be that sad energy for sure. Oh yeah. Well, it was so amazing to meet you and to talk to you and hear about your mom and and her story. And yeah, I I can't thank you enough. This is um this was an incredible episode. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.